This is the Spark Podcast, a bi-weekly show where we explore the creativity, technology, and business of CG. I'm your host, Marina Antunes. If you've attended a Spark conference in the past, chances are that you've probably seen DaCosta Bailey's work. A self-taught, award-winning illustrator, DaCosta has been creating professionally since 1995. Working under the studio name Chocolate Soup, DaCosta has produced designs across various media, he's launched the popular March of Robots drawing challenge on Instagram, and he's collaborated with artists from around the world, including for major brands like Nintendo, Sony, Hasbro, Wacom, and Google. We recently caught up with DaCosta to talk about how he broke into the industry, how his passion for robots developed, and what he's working on now. Here's our conversation with the Costa Bailey. I wanted to start by finding out about young Da Costa. What were you like as a kid? What were you into? Um, <clears throat> I was, I was into ninjas when I was a kid. That was my thing. Depending on how far back we're talking about, uh, <laughs> let's let's talk at the age where ninjas are relevant. So I'm an '80s kid, Gen X <laughs> kind of deal. So. Uh, I spent most of my time, if I wasn't drawing I, and watching or watching uh, animation on TV, I was out. We lived in a we lived in the suburbs, effectively, kind of where the suburbs ended and the forest began. Um, so I would just run out my backyard, and then there would just be a forest. And open there was a swamp, and then a forest, and that's where I just played all day with my bow and arrow and whatnots. And weirdness. That's what I did all day. <laughs> I was the kid on the block. I lived on the side. We lived on a very long block. And everyone's house, effectively, except for one one dude named Osher. Weirdly enough, I can remember those names. Um, and everyone came out of their front yard, came to my house, and went through my backyard to get to the forest. Even though everyone had gate access to the same space. It was just weird. My- you were the popular kid. I was the popular kid. When I moved in, it was it was kind of weirdly cliche or classic. When I moved in and we were moving in, there was literally a weird little rush of a group of six kids that came up and introduced themselves. It was very weird. <laughs> it was very surreal. I'm not going to say weird. It was just surreal because I could. I felt there are moments in my life where I feel like I'm standing outside myself observing, and that's one of those moments. You know, so it's just it was interesting. I loved it. I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Being welcomed to the neighborhood. Nobody had a cake. But it was cool. I don't think anybody was older than eight, though, at the time. So, <laughs> so you you have a passion for for drawing already. You love ninjas. Did you think that like was your career path going to be being an artist, or what? What, what did you want to be when you kind of like grew up, as they say? Yeah, I, I I don't think I don't think I was. I didn't see how it wasn't an option. I mean, I don't think I made any kind of clear declarations that I'm going to be an artist and held my paintbrush aloft. You know what I mean? I don't think that was a ever a moment, but I, I do know that uh, the thing that kept me kind of, kind of calm and as a kid was drawing. So uh, it's, it seemed, I didn't even know it was a career. There was not, you know, that's, that's grade, grade, grade six, grade five, grade six. Right. So I don't know what, what that is. I just know that I like doing it, but I don't know anybody. I didn't know anybody that did it for a living. And certainly my, my parents didn't do anything creative. So there was no encouragement on that side. 
um, until I went to kind of school, obviously. And then you get to grade, grade six, seven, and eight, and all of a sudden there's art class, you know, so that, that became an interesting thing. And then did you think at that point that maybe that's something you could do for a living or was that even not an option yet at that (laughs) point? No, it wasn't an option. Like I said, I didn't know it was a career. I mean, even as much as I didn't really read comics until I was in my late teens. Um, So I didn't know how any of that stuff kind of happened. You know what I mean? It wasn't, I just watched things on TV that were awesome. But, you know, I think there was a point in my life when I was a really young kid where I thought, how much do you have to get paid to be a stuntman? Because I'm pretty sure they die every episode. <laughs> like, that's a horrible career path. That's all I knew. I just knew about career paths for stunt people <laughs> and how dangerous it seemed. But after that, I, I don't know what happened. But anyway, the point is, yeah, I didn't know it was a thing, really, a career option at all until high school. I'm gonna say. Okay, so so let's talk about that. So you're in high school. Um, w- w- what do you what are you studying? How do you decide that you're going to go to art school if you even went to art school? Uh, Walk I, us through the thought process. Yeah, I went to Thomas L. Kennedy in Mississauga, and um, that was that was an art school. It's not like we not it's not like there was a conversation where hmm, what school do you want to go to? It was the one down the hill. So that was a great place, and I had a, a great teacher. Uh, in art. Um, one of my art teachers was uh, Larry Dominici. And he was very, very encouraging to my with my stuff. So I, I mean, I just learned everything by myself. And just, um, and he was the one who he would give me it was funny, because we I think I remember very clearly him giving me projects. And then lunchtime, he would say, Hey, we should do you want to do this? Like, would, do you want to learn how to do silk screening? Because in grade nine, you weren't, you were doing very basic things, but the grade 12s, you know, they were doing crazy stuff. So he would, he would, he would come to me and say, Hey, let's just do this. And then I'll show you how to do silk screening. So I'd be able to do my own thing. I'll do grade 12 stuff in grade nine. And, and so I, I kind of helped him and he wanted me to kind of help him do work. He actually gave me a couple of paying jobs, which was weird and just doing design work. So that was, he was very, very encouraging. Um, so that was when I kind of realized we, he was the one who first kind of, we had long conversations and, and kind of said, you know, you have a talent for this stuff, not having ever been taught anything, you know, kind of formally. So I thought that was interesting. I still didn't really understand what that meant, but I, I think it was, I just liked that somebody liked my art and we were having a conversation about it. Cause it, that didn't happen in my kind of earlier in my childhood, my parents, we didn't have conversations about art or jobs or anything. I mean, my stepfather didn't teach me how to do, you know, change the oil, right? And it's kind of that my life was just not centered around whatever you think, whatever the, the and I'm using air quotes here, ideal childhood is, you know, that those things that you might imagine would happen. Um, so to get somebody like that as a, as a, as a, as a, as a role model to kind of encourage me to do that was, was awesome. So how do you go from being in Ontario to the West Coast? Uh, yeah, that's a really weird, long, sordid story. But for the most part, my parents got a divorce and then my mother went to Edmonton. And so I went with her. And then I just kind of hung out there. I went to art school there and then, uh, and I went continued on high school over there. And then when that was a whole thing, and then I went back to Ontario when 
my mother's job shifted back to Ontario, Toronto, and then went back to Edmonton. Uh, my mom kicked me out of the house uh, for whatever reason. That's a crazy long story, but um, I wasn't a bad kid. So it doesn't go that way. It just goes the unfortunate way um, of not, not of, of being asked to leave. So I left, went back to Edmonton because that's where I'd gone to high school. And then just kind of sat there for a while, figuring, trying to figure out myself. Uh, and I didn't, and that's what I, during, I was there for four years trying to kind of going through the struggles of trying to figure out me, I guess it was a thing, you know what I mean? Cause I, you know, there's a lot of stuff about, I found out my life was really chaotic in terms of kind of, kind of my mental position on, on things creatively, getting stuff done, you know, getting focus, all that stuff. So when I was, you know, 25, I did, that's when I found out I had ADHD. So that explained a lot to me. So, cause it, up to that point, you know, my early, early, like late teens, early twenties, trying to get a job and try to hold a job was very complicated. Cause I was certainly wasn't doing art to, to, to pay the rent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that was a, I did a lot of weird, odd jobs. Um, just at a temp agency in Edmonton, you can imagine winter jobs. Edmonton is horrible in the winter. I'm not a winter person. You know, it looks great on a postcard, but that's where you should stay. <laughs> you know, so that anyway, I mean, I, yeah, I did really whatever jobs cause art wasn't paying the bills. I just, it was still a hobby. It was just still a, my, my calm point, um, kind of made everything better, but it was, it was the struggle of just kind of day to day figuring out where I needed to go or where I wanted to go and having a conversation one day with, uh, with another artist, uh, an older artist and was saying that maybe you, maybe you have ADHD. And I thought, well, what's that? And he said, blah, blah, blah. So you should go get, go to the youth center and get tested. So I did that whole thing and then found out that a whole, like I have a, you know, like a, you know a plethora of, of issues, but that is ADHD. Adult ADHD is kind of, I guess it's rare. Right. So, and then I, and, versus ADD. Um, and then that started me on a path of trying to figure out kind of how, okay, so how do I solve it? Um, figured out I could, I could kind of get a grant to go to, I thought I should go to university to go to, go to college at the time, I guess, Emily Carr was the space to go to, uh, got a grant to do that. And then got, that enabled me to travel out West further and get to Vancouver, which I've been, where I've been since. And so did you finish three months? No, <laughs> I was going to ask, did you make it through all of Emily Carr? No, no, I didn't. I lasted for, I, I, the grant wasn't that big and I just ran into some bad luck with roommates and people kind of stiffing me for the rent. And then I ended up spending my grant, uh, on just kind of trying to, you know, live. And, um, then I just couldn't afford to go stay to school and pay rent. So I just went back to work. So you're, you know, mid twenties, you're in Vancouver, uh, art school didn't pan out. So what are you doing? Not panhandling, which is almost, <laughs> eight, but I just went, uh, I just, I, I, what did I do? I think I started, um, when I first, I started in the movie industry and I just to do set deck was my deal. So just, you know, and I, as I've told you before, the one thing, one of the things I hate 
two of the things I hate doing moving and talking about myself. So the moving set deck <laughs> is just a glorified mover. Like I'm just moving stuff now all day, which is hilarious. So you get to, you get to move stuff that's not yours. You have to be extremely careful with it because it, it costs a lot of money. You get to go pick it up, move it to the set, move it around the set, and then take it back when they're finished with it. That's the, the glory of that job. Uh, yeah. So that did that for a while. That was fun. Um, thought about getting into the art department, you know, in the, in the movie industry. So trying to apply for a union and everything that was, that was okay. Um, and then just got kind of burnt out on how many hours they were working. There was a lot of hours to be hauling things around. Mm -hmm. Um, and I almost got, almost got into the art department in a, in an awesome way. I almost, I worked on a project and then I got, I was offered for, by the director, the producer was horrible. The director liked how I just kept going and doing stuff, even though it was clearly kind of not an awesome environment. And then he offered to grandfather me in kind of, you know, get me into the, into the, into the union. I was so dissuaded by that day though. It was that experience on that set for that project. It was, I was like, no, I'm good. I don't need to run into another one of those dudes. So, so could I, you could have had a totally different career. I could have been, I could have been in a different space. And then, um, yeah, cause funny as I worked, the first thing I worked on was a Western and I worked on that for a long time. Um, and that was interesting cause that was the long haul of getting this, you know, going to different places, you know, out to kind of, uh, sets that were really far out. And all I did was, I'll just tell you the truth. I, the person who hired me on for that original job just drove, he did all the driving. So it was kind of an easy job until you actually got to the place. And then it was a lot of sweating, lifting heavy things, fragile things. Um, but after that, uh, I just did, I, I, I started to do some, uh, just did a lot of bouncing for a long time. And then that got a little tired after a while. Uh, so then I, I managed, I just kept doing art kind of little things. And I just met a few people through actually a movie industry, um, kind of group meeting. It's called, it was called, I'm going to say it was called the Zeus group. Um, and then I just met some cool people and they needed kind of graphics or something done. And I said, sure, I'll do that. So, you know, you do a couple of, do a couple of freebies or wickedly discounted deals. And then that kind of got me going again, realized that I could, I could, possibly do this for a living because it was easier way to make my rent than potentially waiting for somebody to fight at a bar. So, so, so when did you make the, the jump to doing art full time? Uh, that was, well, like, do you, do you need a year? No, <laughs> it's a little blurry, no. but, um, yeah, I'm going to say kind of, I moved here 95. So I'm going to say by uh, by na 99 well, or sorry, uh, sorry, go ahead. So maybe the more, the more poignant question there is what, how was it scary to, to make, to, to make the decision to make that jump? Cause I think that that's the, the real key is when do you, when do you say to yourself or when do you realize that you have to make the sleep and how scary is that? Because, you know, it might not work out. So how do you, how do you work your way up to making that decision? Uh, now that was a pretty easy jump because art was the thing that I wasn't making money at easily, but that's because I wasn't probably just doing it right or meeting the right people or in the right environment. So once, you know, there was a space where I found that people, there was a need and then I could fill that need. It was easier and it was a much easier decision because I didn't want to be a bouncer <laughs> at all. 
So they just happen to have a skill set. You know what I mean? I'm not even a fighting person. So that's the, you know, that was an interesting thing that I was doing that job. Not that it's a, you know, you just never know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the risk, the risk of it was easier and more, it was an easier jump to say, oh, I can do this. And it's, and it, it doesn't involve me potentially getting into a scuffle. So that was fun. So it was, it was, it was comfortable and nice and, and, and refreshing to feel like, oh, I hadn't really gone away, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I, I instantly jumped at the chance and it, the, it, in the same way you kind of get a struggle to kind of it, whatever, I'd rather pay my rent and kind of struggle with that kind of growing that part of it and learning that business and how to promote yourself than just be a door guy for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? Not that that's a, that's not, that's not my path. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I felt that it was easy to, to make that jump. Did you start chocolate soup right away or did that come later? Oh, no, that came later. I think chocolate soup was a thing in 2007 where I was, I had done corporate stuff for a long time and I'd worked my way up in that kind of um, situation and met people, you know, I did some work at, at uh, Palmer Jarvis DDB and you meet people and then making connections. And then I ended up, um, I ended up weirdly landing a job that ended up getting me to the six figure zone doing art directing for a company. And then that was awesome because they rebranding all their products because it was a weird mismatch of things and they didn't really kind of think they needed that stuff or they didn't have the right people to do it. And they were kind of growing it and making a lot of mad money. So that was, that was an awesome space to be in. It was a little stressful because the owner was really high energy dude. You know what I mean? Kind of a, the man's man and he was blah, blah, blah with the business. So that was an interesting personality type to kind of deal with. Um, and then shortly after that, there was a period where that was kind of supposed to be a temporary deal. And then I got his competition got wind of me and then started calling me to say, Hey, when are you going to come over here? (laughs) Well, introduced himself and then said, Hey, um, so that was an interesting, weird thing. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. I won't throw names around, but it was just a weird kind of for three months, he was kind of bugging me. And I said, listen, I'll, I'll blah, blah, blah here. I'll pay you this and blah, blah. I was like, Oh really? Wow. That's crazy. And then I said, sure, let me just finish up this thing. And then, cause I was in Japan at the time, weirdly enough, you know what I mean? So, um, he would just call me and then, um, I, I jumped on that afterwards, came back and then that rolled around for a while. And then fast forward 2007, 2006, 2007, I decided that I liked doing, I'd kind of gotten to a space where I, I'd done these projects and I was doing things that were more on kind of character driven. So I thought, oh, this character stuff is super awesome. So I'm just going to focus on that. And then we decided, my wife and I decided that it was, we should get into the, the vinyl toy industry was, was kind of the rage. It was surging at the time with shops like kid robot and, uh, my plastic heart and monkey King in LA and all, you know, all over the place. So it was adult collectible vinyl toys. Um, you know, objet, vinyl objet, if you want to call it that. And then, so we jumped into that mix and that just became a thing where chocolate soup became one of the options. And funny enough, it wasn't the first choice, but it was the, it was just the name that stuck. Yeah. Cause I was going to ask where the name came from. Yeah. So the original concept was actually a thing called Metro garden. And it was just based around the building that I live in 
and it was a bunch of characters who lived in this building and everyone had a little bit of a different flavor. So we could kind of like, kind of like a gorillas. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So everybody yep. was kind of like that. And there was different shops and, 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 and there was a whole, there was a whole, um, kind of story behind it, but then it just decided that, um, I was going back through some old stuff and, and I realized that I had a, I liked the, I had a, a, a reference of, you know, Andy Warhol's soup cans, that kind of classic tomato soup thing. And so I decided that chocolate soup was kind of fun and very vinyl toy sounding. Um, and the idea of chocolate soup. So chocolate, chocolate is the thing that is, as you, uh, chocolate and soup are the things you, 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 you experience as a child and an adult, but you see them different um, at those stages of your life. So chocolate is just awesome and, and wonderful. And soup is a, is a, is a, is a thing that you, that your parents or your mom gave you when you're sick, right? So it makes you feel better. So fast forward to you're an adult. Chocolate is now this fantastic, um, health thing, dark chocolate and all of its health benefits. Um, and then soup is now a comfort food that reminds you of your childhood and just kind of makes you feel warm and tingly inside for me. Anyway, that was my thing. So I thought that's the, and those are the same things that I feel like graphics and toys and that kind of uh, things of things of fanciful kind of imagination, imaginative ideas should kind of always hold for you. If that makes sense. No, it totally does. We, I, I didn't realize that there was such a big uh, leap between, um, you know, when you kind of started working as an artist and then, uh, you know, jumping forward to chocolate soup. So I wanted to back up just a little bit mm. and, 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 and get a sense for, you know, you start working as, uh, let's say you're a struggling artist, you know, you, you're starting, you're making a name for yourself, you're making connections. What does that look like um, for you uh, when you started out? Like, how were you making those connections? What what kind of work were you doing? Um, and what was that progression like to where you got to the point where, you know, you are in this position where you're being offered a six-figure salary to to do, you know, design for a, a big company? Yeah. And yeah. So I was doing a lot of corporate stuff. So a lot of corporate branding for um uh, um, resource companies, right? People are, you know, in mining and those kind of weird things. So they pay a lot of money. So I actually found that they paid enough. I could do one job and pay my rent. And I was like, oh, so at some point I was only doing one job a month so I could make sure I cleared my bills. And then after that, it was just goofing around and doing my, and my art stuff. So I could try to figure out what else I wanted to do with my free time. Mm -hmm. uh, so I did a lot of, a lot of corporate things, brochure layouts and, and concepts for startup businesses um, that was, you know, that was a big deal. I worked for a little bit, um, uh, prior to this, uh, bigger job at kind of, uh, the, like the back, the black gel of uh, black gel, Jack Bell research center, doing illustration for a doctor, um, who had developed a, a surgical training program. So I, I did, I was illustrator on that. And then I went to, um, a, a, a colleague there went to blast radius, which was a company at the time kind of web 1.0, you know, before the bubble went crazy, poppy. Um, and that, so I went over there to do that for a little bit. And then that just kind of snowballed into something that was fun, um, working with companies like Nintendo and, um, and Sony and just kind of to make cooler projects. Uh, and then leaving, leaving that, it just kind of, I, I decided that I was going to start making apps, you know, so I started developing an app and I just randomly met, I met some group. I can't remember. I think it was a, when, meetup the meetup groups and mm -hmm. i just met i had a had an app 
and uh, that I had put together myself with with a team. And then I met a group there, and they were doing some stuff, and they said, "Hey, you should do this." And then that was I got brought on, asked to do um, kind of app development for this group that basically did all the family uh, entertainmenty stuff for like you know restaurants, so Pizza Hut or or Boston Pizza or you know anything that had family programs like you know. The simple version of that is when you go to a restaurant and you get the the color the the coloring mat the coloring uh, mm-hmm. page for you know the placemat for kids. So they did a lot of games and entertainment things for families like that. So I, that was I did that for a while developing apps for them, um, and then that just kind of snowballed into more things and meeting people and getting weird stuff. And I just spent I just realized that if you just make a thing and put it out there that whatever whatever it is you want to go. Like if you want to work for Mercedes, or you want to attract the Mercedes companies of the world, you have to make stuff that looks like that. And then they see your portfolio. And then that's, that's you, you get those calls. You know, if you do it right, you get the calls, right? We have to put yourself out there and make yourself known. But that's how I got that offer for that first job was the, the individual that the, who he saw, he saw a layout for a brochure for a company that I had done as a mock-up um, for a spa company, a whole whole startup thing with a with a with a, a like a spa in Yale Town, and he was enthralled by that whole thing. And it was a fake; it was one hundred percent fake, but he loved it. it. It was convincing enough for him to say, "Dude, that's awesome." Mm-hmm. So I'm curious. So, so you're doing uh, corporate jobs to to pay the bills, yeah. but what are you doing on the side that's like? F- for you. Yeah. So that's, that's where I'm drawing my own stuff, just mm-hmm. kind of exploring things that I like, kind of just drawing randomly thought of ideas, you know, and kind of just relaxing and kind of getting it stuff that I'd like. So if I, you know, started doing, I, that's when I started reading comics more, right? So I, I get to, I get to Vancouver and I'm 25. So I start kind of reading comics and getting into that kind of thing and seeing what's out there and, and really deal, delving into pop culture more. And that's when I decided that, okay, so on my spare time, I can, I can just try to develop because the, the corporate stuff is fun, but it's always a weird stress thing. And I, you know, was well aware of my other friends because in trying to get into, in learning context and I, you get the same stories over and over again about working with clients and difficulties with that. So I thought, oh, I'm going to try to limit this idea of, of, of the stress level and kind of move move to a space where I can, I can really kind of find me. So that was my, that was my goal. And then that just became, that just became a thing that I kind of tried to pursue as much as possible. And then looking for the corporate job stuff. So I started putting together kind of corporate things that look more character driven, like mascot designs, those kind of ideas. So that's where it shifted Mm -hmm. me to get other jobs that kind of led me in that direction of wanting to just do my own IP eventually. So where does the love for robots start? Because it's a theme. <laughs> no, it is. Yeah, and no, it's it's a mild. It's a it's a it's a it's a sprinkling. Uh, um, yeah, it is. Yeah, usually, yeah, it is. It is the bowl of tabbouleh that is my life, right? So I mean that, that robots are everything I consume um, all day. They're just awesome. I think the the one thing about robots and and my love when I was growing up as a kid was for anime, for Japanese anime. So that I I loved. Everything about that, that's where I kind of learned a lot of my 
kind of initial skills in drawing and illustration, color theory, all those kind of things. And it was just watching anime and seeing how they did that. Um, and I, I kind of quickly learned, I never was never really a copy person, but I just, from the get-go, I would always look at something and then try to deconstruct it, figure out how the technique was applied and then apply it to whatever I was doing. So I, you know, I did, I didn't watch a show and then draw those characters. You know what I mean? I just liked the technique. I thought that was cool. Cause I, if I gravitated towards something, um, and if I didn't like something, I'm like, why don't I like that thing? And just try to break it down. So, cause I'm, I've always been self-taught. So that's, that's, that's kind of the path that I, I figured out how to do that and, and how to kind of quickly try to get better at doing art. Um, so the, the robot thing is kind of comes out of that. Um, I was really influenced by Sid Mead, uh, as a, as a, the industrial designer and he's all the, his shape language and, and the way, the way he approached things was interesting to me, but robots are cool. in just the fact that they, they, they go through the struggles. I mean, they're kind of created as we are from our environment and, 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 um, and then they spend time gathering data and trying to adapt. You know what I mean? That's kind of the, kind of the deal. So it's especially like Astro Boy was a super huge hero of mine when I was a kid. I was like, wow, this dude's awesome. He's just trying to get everybody to get along, you know? Um, so when you get, get through to the eighties and eighties had a, a kind of cool surge of robots and they're all super helpful, except for that Maximilian dude. He was just always aggro from the black hole. Um, but I, I, other than that, I just loved robots seemed cool and cute. Humans were a thing, but you know, whatever drawing people is a thing. I mean, sure. You just draw people, but I just, robots were, I didn't really see a lot of people doing it or when I did see them doing it, they were doing kind of the classic mechanical toy robot, tin toy thing. So I just wanted to do something different than that. So that's yeah, and you're just, yeah, I, I, I really, one of the things I really like about your designs is that they're very, um, playful. I don't know if that's the right term, but your robots look very, very different than what people might think of when they think of robots. Like it's, it's, it's not your approach is, is, is not what you would generally expect to see. And, and I'm curious about how that visual style developed for you. Was that just trial and error or did you start kind of, um, did it always look different than, you know, your typical robot? Cause the, the, the cost of robot, when you see it, even if, you know, they may not associate your name with it, if they see two or three of them, you know, over a period of time, that you can tell that they're from one artist. Like it's a very specific and a very unique look, but they all look very different too. It's a, it's a very, to me, it's a very interesting, uh, it's like, it's your own style. Yeah, no, thanks. I don't know. I, I think, I think it's a trial and error thing, but I, it probably comes from a blend of drawing a character, a robot that is a character. You know what I mean? So if you, if you just draw a robot, then you're, you know, you're drawing the Canada space arm moving on. You know what I mean? It's just a, it's just a does the thing. Right. But if you try to, if you have to now make a Canada, the, the Canada arm and give it a personality, now all of a sudden you have to do different things to it. Right. So if it's kind of, it's that idea of putting effectively putting a face and something appealing on that, it's probably, it's probably like the influence of Japanese anime in that kind of, kind of mascot old school, even, even serial serial mascots from, from the early eighties. You know what I mean? We just don't, the seventies and eighties, we don't have the serial characters anymore. Like there's only a couple left, but there used to be a lot, you know? Mm -hmm. And I liked, I liked what mascots, like I said, doing, doing 
doing a robot or doing stuff that had kind of in mascot driven ideas for from a corporate standpoint wanted you know kind of gave me this idea of doing things that kind of characters that had a message so in trying to design a robot trying to make them look appealing i think was my goal so friendly and approachable shapes are fun and they're easy to kind of and i love i love compound curves and i love everything that just feels like you want to touch it you know so i try to i try to do that you know because i mean like i said you, if, the idea of doing a robot is very mechanical and very straightforward and robots are kind of hard to draw if you approach them from a design standpoint to make sure everything kind of works properly you know because rigid rigid body structures are difficult to engineer especially if you want them to mimic you know soft soft life form ideas right um mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So then, so it, having, putting that in, and kind of bending it so that they have a personality is, was just an, an interesting challenge. And I liked doing it. And I found that I was entertained by just being able to try to figure out how to solve the problem. I think that's where, I think that that's probably just my goal every time is how can I make this enjoyable for me? And there must be more than me out there who, who, who would enjoy this stuff. So I just kept making it, hoping to find people clearly it's worked so far yeah yeah no it's fun it's 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 the the response has been good i mean i think that people it's nice to find a space you always struggle to kind of find a thing to kind of to kind of self-identify or identify with and, and kind of to say this is me and then you get recognized for that idea whether it's a style or or subject matter or whatever it is or a combination of the two obviously i it's nice to have it just felt comfortable to keep going. There was no real, it wasn't forced at all. It just kind of fell into it. And a friend of mine actually, well, now a friend of mine, but back in the day, I think of deviant art, I can't even remember where it was, but a fellow reached out to me and he was doing a project called the Tay project, which is Japanese for hand. And he was just asking artists to draw a hand. So it was like from, from the, you know, mid forearm to the hand uh, and then you just do it in your style, do whatever you want. Here's some examples and knock yourself out. I said, okay, that's cool. So I looked through some of the examples and, there, you know, there were power gloves and, 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 and zombie hands and monsters and a lot of stuff. And I realized there were no, there was no robot hand. So I thought I'll just do a robot hand. And it was the, I thought that was interesting. And I kind of, that's, I think that's where it clicked for me. I can't remember what year that was, but that was fun. So that's, that's what kind of really locked it in. I'm curious about one of the things that I find uh, really interesting about you and your work is that you give a lot of thought to um, to story and and to character and to motivation, maybe more than you know pretty much any other artist I know. Almost everything that you talk about, I mean, even your name, like the 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 name chocolate soup, everything has a very deep meaning. And, and I'm curious about you know when when you work, um, how you sort of start developing ideas for your characters and for what you're working on next. Do you always start with the story or does sometimes, does it start with the design? Do you just start sketching? Um, like what, what does that creative process look like for you? Yeah, I think this, the, the initial spark comes from a couple of places, right? I think you've got, sometimes you do a drawing or you see something, you know, oh, that'd be cool. And in the space of, in the mindset of trying to deconstruct things, you're always like, you know, like I said, I try to figure out why I liked something, why it was interesting to me or why I didn't like it. So that usually, that analysis 
usually kind of gives me an idea. It'll spark something that like, oh, I should do this. And then I'll draw something or think about it. It'll, it'll, so either whether it gives me a point of, of story and I think, oh, I could develop that. That would be fun if this was like that, or this would be a great twist. And then that starts to evolve into a thing. And then I, then I usually will attach an image to that just to kind of explain it or, or, or kind of show the visual you know what I mean? In, in kind of instead of writing a rationale, I'm drawing the rationale for what I'm thinking, and then the other way around. Sometimes you just I do a drawing, and it it's just interesting because I'll just sometimes do a, a drawing for no reason, kind of in the with no real plan, I should say, kind of like in the in the way that you could kind of do free writing. I just do free drawing, and just kind of whatever, um, and then you see where it goes, and then it, you, as I'm going. I think if you, if the character, if I'm drawing a character and it starts to come out, it starts to develop into something. I, I start to tell a story of why, and I think most artists do this. I mean, I, I, without, without having been given a brief, you have to kind of create a brief as you're going. So it's kind of, okay, I'm going to do this character and this character is like this. The character is a pilot. And then, you know, I, the character, it's a female pilot and she's super tough very skilled and her fan, you know, just to kind of a motive. So why does she do this? Why would you draw a character? Why does, why does the character have the, this clothing on? Why do they look like that? Do they have scars? What's the story behind that scar? Cause you don't just get a scar. You know what I mean? That had to be something that happened. So you start to tell the story and you build it in your head. So it kind of feels like you're, you're making sure that you're just drawing something that communicates the story. Even so, even ever like subtly, you know, and you make it interesting. Is she wearing army boots or is she wearing Japanese geta? You know what I mean? Like wooden blocks. Like why would a pilot wear wooden shoes? That's weird. And then, you know, so you start to kind of ask yourself if that's interesting and is it inviting to kind of find out more about the, the personality and those things, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's a tool, even like what's the tool being used for? I love the idea of concept design and for anything, designing something for with a function and kind of solve that problem. So characters or anything you're designing props for something, and they'll have a kind of a, a point and kind of, they need to exist for a reason and solve, bring a solution. So that's kind of the driver all the time of answering questions as they come up and, and making sure it, it, it rolls into a, into a, into a final piece that's kind of coherent and, mm -hmm. and interesting. I'm means. curious because you do a lot of different things you do. Um, you know, you do, uh, coloring books and you do um, movies and you do posters. I I'm curious about, and you're a writer and a director and you make, you know, short films. So I'm curious about uh, like the, when you have a an idea or, you know, you maybe you start with a character when or how, or do you even uh, decide how you're going, like what that, maybe design is going to be used for if it's going to be turned into a comic book or if maybe you want to, uh, there's something about that, that particular character or story idea that you think might make a, a good short film. H how do you approach making the decisions of what you're going to do with the work that you're creating? Uh, it, yeah, I guess it, it's all about the, the product. I mean, wait, let's clarify something. I'm not some mad director. I've directed one short film. <laughs> under, <laughs> I've been lucky enough, um, in my association with Spark, um, to meet people like Rex Grignan, who over the course of time and uh, things, events happening, would, found himself in a, in a crafted space of starting a business and having met me 
and we stayed in touch after meeting at Spark. And he said, "Hey, you know, I'm gonna." I'm, he was working at DreamWorks at the time. He left DreamWorks when they did that crazy imploding thing, and then he just started up his own company. Called me and said, "Hey, I'm gonna." He had asked me originally during Spark. He was pitching a, a piece. Uh, a feature film and he wanted me to design the main, there was a robot in the care in this, in the film it was the main, one of the main characters and he wanted me to design that character. So that's why we had a conversation and kept in touch, but he left. Um, and he called me to say, Hey, I'd really like you to work on that project still, but I also want to know if you have something, uh, to, do you want to tell a story? And then I would like to, you know, pitch me something and we'll talk about it. So that kind of guy flew down to Palo Alto and we had a conversation and then uh, he, you know, there was a whole kind of, they went through a list of people. Um, and I guess I got on the short list and he said he offered to fund a short film for me. So it was, that was awesome. Um, Cause I worked with a lot of people, a lot of those like extreme works, Pixar people were in the, in the mix. So that was fun. Um, and then that, that's how that happened. So I think, um, any, any time I'm doing a project like that, I just want to, I just feel like there's something either there's, you know, I'm going to make a project like my, like coloring book stuff. And you're saying, I'm just going to make a coloring book. So I'm just going to make stuff and put it out there. Cause it's having launched the vinyl toy thing. It was very gratifying to kind of make something that's yours. And then you put it out there in a space, you find people that like it. They give you money. You can pay your rent and feed your face. And then it's, <laughs> you know, and, and watch cartoons and stuff on TV because you've paid your cable bill and you can just keep doing that. And then you're now your client or you're now your, your, yeah, you're now your client who's representing, you know, the audience who is your end user. So it's kind of just me. It's me to, to, to you directly, you know, that kind of idea. So I thought, oh, that's, that's kind of awesome because I could just make the stuff I want to make. I don't have to worry about a grumpy client, although I'm not awesome to work with. And then, then I can just potentially sell it and make money and pay my rent. And that seems awesome because you're never really going to get rich working for somebody else unless you're working for a Facebook and somebody offers you shares in something stock. Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Then that might pay off and it might not. But in the same way, the gamble of me just wanting to be happy or satisfying my being, being satisfied, making my own stuff would, was, was amazing. It was an amazing idea to me. So that I think that just wanting to make my own, when I realized we're getting to a space where with print on demand and, uh, and just the affordability of, of technologies that would allow you to distribute like the apps, you know what I mean? On the platform and Apple, those kind of things. I mean, there's just, there's so many tools that started kind of appearing on the landscape that would allow that lowered the barrier to entry. So I thought, let's just try to take advantage of this and then move forward. And with, with the, the idea of just kind of creating anything that I could just put out into the world. Right. So that's, that's, those are the drivers. I mean, anything I think that could be a character telling a story with one character um, usually will evolve. Like the coloring book thing was just a whole bunch of a collection of a bunch of stuff. Um, doing the Kickstarter was the same idea. There was a, like a kind of a little bit of a weird, I did a Kickstarter 2014 for my art book was just a naive, oh, I'm going to do a thing and then put it out on Kickstarter. Cause I started a, a drawing, a community drawing thing on, on Instagram. Yeah. Just March for, of robots, right? Yeah. March of, well, actually back then it was called Bottober. 
because it was oh. in line with, there was a bunch of bunch of drawing things out there, but the big thing was Inktober, started by Jake Parker. So I thought, just for fun, I'm just going to do Call Mine Bottober, and then just draw robots. So, because I had no idea, kind of really, I hadn't really investigated what drawing challenges were about or anything. I'd only seen that. I saw a couple of things. Well, it's fun. So I'm just going to start it. And then um, that quickly became a, I think the next year, every, there was a bunch of Tobers. There was Draw Tober, Monster Tober, Sketch Tober. I don't, there was a bunch of them. So I thought, oh, this space is getting wickedly saturated. So I'm just going to jump out and do something a different part of the year. And March of Robots was just something I had scribbled on a, on a pad of paper that I thought was a cool name because it was fun just to play with words, um, a play on words with, you know, robots and marching, obviously, but then the month was fun. So that just became a thing. I said, Oh, I'm going to change it up. So a few months later, I decided to jump into that. And then at the same time of starting this, that I decided that, Oh, I should just do a, an art book with the artwork and put it on Kickstarter. And I had no idea what Kickstarter really was about. So I had to do a ton of research on figuring out how to do that, you know, so that was just a, just, you know, jump in and figure it out as, you know, just kind of like the, I guess the, the theory of, of jump off the cliff with all the parts and you build a plane on the way down, you know, that kind of idea. And then that just snowballed. Then I slowly realized, well, I have to do March of Robots next year. And then next year, I'm like, well, what have I done? I didn't, there's kind of becomes this thing where you have a responsibility or people are just, not that you're obligated, but it's kind of this thing where people, they like it and then they, they want you to continue it. So I just kept doing it every year. And trying to trying to not flail, you know, or at least flail with style and purpose. <laughs> and how many years has that gone on now? Two thousand well, two thousand fourteen, two thousand thirteen, I think. Oh wow, that two thousand thirteen was Botober, and then two thousand fourteen, right after that, was the first March of Robots. Well, you certainly haven't uh, burnt out yet. You're still at it. That's great. No, no. Yeah, I think it's been it's been really good. It was in the same way that, you know, it's kind of these drawing challenges. It really was just a I want to get better at drawing it and put things out there cuz I'm I'm the worst at promoting myself and it's always but I I do have the part of my personality that says, "Okay, well you have to promote yourself." It's like, "Yeah, but I don't want to." No, no, come on. You got to do something. So the argument goes back and forth and I still have to do it. So if I don't do it, then I'm just going to regret it. Right. So mm-hmm. I just thought, okay, just do it. And then just kind of change it and adapt as you go. Um, so it's been great. And it, it's, you know, it, it's, it's nice to keep it going. Um, it's not in the same flexibility or vein. It, it's, it's very specific um, drawing robots as a theme because they're, they're, they are challenging. Um, and is so it, it's hard to get it kind of going and build it, but it's been, it's been nice to all the other, a lot of the other drawing challenges have faded. So this, mm-hmm. it's nice to have it come around every year. And apparently it's, it's popular in Russia for whatever reason. <laughs> I'm big in Russia, as they say. I don't, I don't know why that is. I, I, I'm curious, you, you, you touched on it a little bit already, but you know, one of the things that I always think of when, when you're a creative person is, is the hustle and, and, you know, having to sort of put yourself out there in order to, you know, generate income really, and more work. And you always seem to be kind of like on, on, on the, um, to me, you always seem like you're riding the wave. You're always like onto the next big thing before everybody else is. And, and I'm curious about that and how um, how you sort of 
navigate your way through all of these new things that are, you know, constantly coming up, like you were on Instagram really, really early. You, you were on the vinyl toy thing, you know, just as it was coming up. Internet, same thing. You're always sort of like on the cusp of the next thing. How important is that? And and how do you sort of navigate, you know, the waters of all these new things that come out every year or every month in some cases? It seems like, yeah. I don't, I, I, and I, that's, I actually feel the opposite. I mean, the vinyl toy thing, we were kind of, when that kind of started, for for me, I was it was actually kind of near the end of that kind of thing. I mean, it's still going, but it it certainly had its 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 peak. Um, so I find I kind of feel like we actually just missed that, and there was a kind of a weird uh, disconnect with the factories and manufacturing that kind of that kind of kind of killed any real progress I could make with it because I was actually the first person to ever have a custom vinyl show in a museum funny enough. And I had spoken to a lot of people who were heavy hitters in the industry. It's like, yo, has this happened before? Um, and I just beat out somebody, um, who was DKE, uh, Dove, who was, had just, he was doing the Vader project. So I had, I had worked with the, the, the Japanese American national museum in LA. And so we did that show, uh, just before the Vader project came out. And I think, <laughs> I think I'm not sure if the, if it was the Vader project, was that, was that the Guggenheim? I can't remember, but the point is, I was the first one, and even to the point where some somebody wrote a, a review in, in an LA paper saying that we had we were the, claiming that we were the first uh, custom vinyl show was dubious. But I was like, dude, you just do your research because it was we looked long and hard. I talked to a lot of people, so anyway. <laughs> but I think trying to figure out, um, you know, what's next. I mean, I, I at some point from a weird stroke of luck. I was able, able to, I, I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine um, and we were like, oh, I remember that, remember that thing from when we were growing up called Picture Pages and I'm like, oh yeah, that was a dope show. That's, that would make a great app. And it's like, we should, where's that IP at? Who made that thing? And then we found, we, just a weird search, a random search during a conversation found the son of, with a nephew of the, the son of the person who came up with that idea. And then we just literally made a phone call and the next day we had a meeting and then uh, conversation happened. It was about an hour. And then we had uh, chocolate soup had the international exclusive rights to the chocolate soup uh, or the picture pages brand, which was bananas. Cause it was just a great educational option uh, opportunity to make something that, you know what I mean? Cause uh, picture pages was the show started on captain kangaroo. And then um, at some point in the 80s, uh, Bill Cosby came on as it became Bill Cosby's. He was the host of the show. Mm -hmm. So that was, I was like, oh, that's awesome. But it, it wasn't owned by him. So it was, it was, uh, um, we dealt with the actual owner himself and that was fantastic. And then, you know, the Bill Cosby stuff happened, not that there was going to be an association with, with, with uh, Mr. Cosby there, but you know, the, that kind of the whole, Cosby event transpired. So we kind of killed that project, but it was lucky for us that we hadn't pulled the trigger on the next bigger phase. So it was great. And we had an app and you put out, I put out an ABC app and that was, you know, connected with back in getting to the, or the, 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 the corporate job doing the pizza hut stuff and all the, so that was like, it lends a lot of credibility in, in places, just make stuff and put it out. There's the kind of lesson there, but, um, and I'm completely off topic. I'm sure. 
<laughs> that's okay. That was an interesting, that was an equally interesting thing to talk about for yeah. sure. So sorry, just to kind of, this is my life. It's like leaps and bounds all over the place. Right. And then, <laughs> so, so the, so in terms of kind of trying to figure out what the way, the next wave is and just trying to do something, Instagram was interesting. Cause it was, there was 2011, 10 is when I jumped on and there was, there were no artists on there. So it, that was weird. So it was just, okay, well, let's just figure it out. This seems interesting and just keep going with it. Um, and then anything else is kind of, I just want to try to figure out what's, what's happening on the horizon and how does, how does it apply to what I want to do? How can I take my character stuff into that environment? That's the, that's the big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it's trying to, it's just trying to, it has to be relevant. I'm not trying to shoehorn myself into a, into a situation where it's a struggle to kind of keep it going. You know what I mean? It just, it has to be, it has to feel like a natural fit, but I definitely, I definitely want to try to take advantage of that. And especially from a, from a communications or, or, or distribution kind of standpoint or getting the word out, that's what I really want to focus on. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what I try to kind of really keep, uh, keep an eye on, on those kind of trends that makes that makes sense. Oh no, totally. I, I'm curious because you know um, you you've been working from home for you know pretty much ever, and a lot of people are finding themselves over the last year you know stuck at home working, and you know a lot of us that aren't used to that type of you know environment, it's hard to stay motivated. I'm curious if you wh- how you stay motivated and, and energized and excited and if you have any tips, any practical things that people could take with them, especially artists that might feel like they're you know kind of in a rut how, how do you how do you just stay you know connected to the to the work? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Actually, it's funny for me because it's my life has always been, like you said, I've always been at home for for a very long time. For the most of my career, I've been at, kind of working independently. But that's because I'm mostly kind of introverted. I don't know if I know. I know you. When we talk, I don't sound like an introverted person. But I I would rather get together with a, with one person or a very very small group, like let's say three other people tops and talk creative stuff all day than to try to stand up on a stage and, and yell from the rooftops about something, especially about me. Um, so I think it's easy. And I have a lot of relationships that the, most of the people I know, I've always only ever known them online. Or we've met once at, you know, when I was doing vinyl toy stuff, good friends of mine, and we've met, um, we met online, we've met in person once, maybe twice, and then it just kept it going from there. So it's this, this whole kind of staying at home thing and talking via camera is very easy for me, very natural. And I, I think the big thing I really miss is kind of just getting out, finding that space for me to be creative. Um, so I love getting out to the cafe or, you know, going to do work outside and figuring out how to, how to keep myself motivated in that sense. But I, yeah, I think trying to figure out how to not just find the things that make you happy and to kind of make your life easier. I mean, if, if the things that make your life awesome are going to an office, then we might have an issue there and try to solve that problem. But um, for me, it's just make, you know, as they say, the lemons and make lemonade deal, trying to figure out what really, what fill your life with the things that make you, that make you, you and make you happy. 
right? I mean, it, the whole the whole adage about, you know, you are what you eat. So if you fill your life constantly with those things and kind of make adjustments accordingly all the time, I think you'll, you'll be easier. So I, you could spend all day, especially in this moment, spend extra effort to pamper yourself and treat yourself to things, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I, I try to communicate with people all the time and try to, try to, like I said, try to feed whatever that need is. Um, that would be my advice. Is that, is that, is that, does that help at all? Is that a thing? Does that sound like anything rational? Um, it totally does. Yeah. I don't know. It's just funny that it's, some things seem obvious to me and other things I'm completely oblivious to. So I just, sometimes when I like, why don't we just do this? Or why is that an issue? Um, but I would say, yeah, that, that would be my advice, I guess. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to stop there. <laughs> Um, and, and let's finish with, uh, you know, what, what awesome projects are you working on now? Mm. So, yeah. So, well, March of Robots is coming up. So I've got, mm. I've got to get ready for that. That's a whole thing. And then, um, I'm trying to get the coloring book, another coloring book out, just pushing those things forward. Uh, I'm in the middle. I wrote a kid's book. I wrote two kid's books actually, and I have to actually start illustrating. I've been putting it off for a while. Um, COVID was an interesting, an interesting kind of hiccup in the, in the plans. Uh, so I've just kind of readjusting for that. Uh, and then, so basically just putting out more, more property. So I really want to, you know, the short film I did with, uh, with, with, um, Rex Grignan uh, and his crew was called Sonny and Gerd, uh, in spring, uh, spring cleaning. So I, I have a bunch of other stories that I want to do and continue with that. So I'm going to do them in kind of a graphic novel form uh, to kind of just explain it. So I'm basically storyboarding it out and telling those stories. Uh, I have a, a kid's book that I'm writing, kid's adventure book that I'm writing for uh, my daughter, who's only two. So by the time she gets to like five or six, she'll be able to appreciate the action adventure of that character. Um and then I think just really kind of pushing anything I can do with, with making the, the robot thing kind of keep going um, with, with general kind of reach outs, like the, the March of Robots and engaging with the community, um, creating, creating opportunities to, to have conversations about creative life, really. And that was my conversation with the Costa Bailey. You can find more about the Costa at chocolatesoupstudio.com. But even better, you can follow March of Robots on Instagram. You can find him at chocolate soup. The Spark Podcast is a production of the Spark Computer Graphics Society. For more about Spark CG and our upcoming events, visit sparkcg.org. We'll be back with another episode of the podcast in two weeks' time.